Welcome to In Strange Company. I'm your host, Marcus Strange. I believe we're a composite of the people with whom we surround ourselves. On this podcast, I sit down with some of the most interesting humans you could hope to meet and give you the opportunity to surround yourself with some amazing people. My guests and I share insights into creating authentic and purpose-filled lives. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate the company. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Strange Company. Um, I, I have the pleasure of uh, sitting down, but kind of not sitting down with Jared Frazier. We're recording this uh, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And so we're using the technology at our hands and we're doing a remote podcast, which is it's it's been nice to be able to still connect with people during this time. Um, if you're not familiar with Jared Frazier, he's been on a couple of podcasts before. Um, he is the Jared. I'm sorry, you have to remind me. Are you the director of Two Percent for Conservation? What's your actual title? That'll work. Uh, the IRS sees me as executive director just because that's what they like to see. <laughs> But director works too. Executive is just such a big word for, you know, the, the, the bigger your title, the smaller your job actually is. So I'll, I'll take director because the job feels pretty awesome. big most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, I know that right now um, is a, a tough time for conservation organizations with um, everybody really tightening their belts financially. For those of you that aren't familiar with 2% for Conservation, um, Jared, why don't you fill us in on what you all do? Yeah, so we are a nonprofit and we've been described by a few folks as like an organization for the conservation organizations. Um, uh, we're also kind of like the Better Business Bureau, but for conservation. Basically, we our, our main program is that we certify businesses and individuals that give at least 1% of their time and 1% of their annual income to fish and wildlife conservation. And what the way that that works can be very broad because we let our members choose. Uh, it's a membership you can't buy. You have to earn it. Uh, but we leave the power with you to choose who you give to. If you don't know who you should give to, or if you're wanting suggestions, we provide a menu of, of options based off of things that you care about um, and help you find you know other groups if there's other things you might be interested in. And then also something you're involved with personally is our committee program, which allows people to connect with conservation leaders in their area to partner with them, whether they're a business, a family foundation, or just a, you know, a high school kid uh, who wants to give back in their local area. Uh, we have volunteer leaders who help connect them with, with causes to give back. Our whole mission is to ensure the future of hunting and angling by having an alliance of businesses and individuals that give their time and money back to conservation. Yeah, and during times like this where you see a significant recession, um, conservation organizations who are really, I mean, they're, they're essentially philanthropic organizations that operate on the goodwill of members and donors. They really struggle during this time. And, and Jared and I have been talking because I work for a conservation nonprofit. Jared's job is to support conservation nonprofits. And so we thought we'd kind of do a state of the union on what's happening in the wildlife conservation space during uh, this 
pandemic, which we're seeing some really unprecedented actions taken to stop the spread. And it is having an effect. Um, some of you from the outside looking in may not be seeing that effect, but we wanted to kind of let you know what's going on. And Jared, maybe you can take it from there and kind of lay out what's been happening um, behind the scenes for a lot of conservation groups. Yeah, so this is something most people don't think of. Um, you know, where, where does the money come from for wildlife? And we always hear because of big marketing campaigns put together by, you know, hunting groups and, and firearm industry and stuff of, you know, well, the, the firearms and the, your, your licenses pay for conservation. Yes, they pay for the bulk in the United States, but that's just one country. <laughs> Rest of the world doesn't have those kind of taxes. Uh, so there are struggles that have been going on outside the U.S. for a long time, but here within the U.S., there are mechanisms in place uh, that require still individual giving to ensure that conservation uh, work has funding um, and so that conservation work can get that funding from those taxes. So for those not familiar, there's there's two general tax acts in, in the United States. There's the Pittman-Robertson Act, uh, which puts an 11% tax on all hunting licenses, firearm sales, uh, ammunition sales, archery equipment sales, uh, with the bulk of the money that goes to conservation out of that act actually coming from the firearm end of things, from the sport shooters. Um, so everyone loading up on ammo right now, you're actually supporting conservation a bit, uh, even though you're being ridiculous. Um, but on the other side, we have the Dingle Johnson Act, which came uh, sometime later, you know, in the in, in about 30 years later, which does the same thing, but on the angling side. So fishing licenses and then tackle for fishing. There's an excise tax on that. Even if you buy like your little $2 box of hooks, there's an 11% excise tax on those hooks. So those, all those dollars are there. They're taken in to the federal level and then dispersed. And they're dispersed to the states based off of many different criteria for many, many different things. Like hunter's education programs get a certain amount based off of how many hunter's education instructor hours there are and a few other things. Um, wildlife biologists, the amount of time that they get out in the field, how much money they have for using helicopters and planes for doing surveys of animals, uh, blood tests, paying labs for blood tests for different disease outbreaks. Um, all the equipment that they use out in the field, all that stuff, uh, there's dollars from these tax programs. But the allocation of them is kind of ran through the states in partnership with the Fed. So that's that's piece number one. And this is, you know, we're talking about uh, basically accounting, which is super sexy to listen to on a podcast, but I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> Okay, so, so the state... Jared, you make anything sexy. <laughs> oh, my. Um, so the states, they, they try to get as many of these dollars as possible. It, by, by hook or by crook, they try to get them. And one of the tools that they use is they can match some of these things. So they'll say, hey, we're only going to take... We, we got to do this helicopter uh, relocation of some sheep. So we're, you know, from this one area to another to try to get them back into their native range or to, you know, get, get some genetic diversity going on. We'll try to mix some ewes, you know, send them from this herd to this one and do a little, little meat cute thing with this other herd, see if they'll have some babies and get some more genetic diversity, be more disease resistant. So we need helicopters and we need trucks and we need tranquilizers and we need 
field biologists and oh there's all these laws about how we got to do it so we have to have all these oversight people and they're getting paid for it um and so it's this several thousand dollar operation just for one afternoon um and so what the states will do is they'll say all right we'll take we'll request this much from Pittman robertson for that general end of things that we're doing with sheep this year or with elk or whatever species they're moving around or doing work with and then we'll match it with these dollars that we get from this a you know this acronym abc you know named after some some species conservation group that's having a banquet and every year this conservation group has a banquet they raise like $35,000 and they give us the 30,000 uh out of it so that we can match and do this program and so they only request so much from the Pittman Robertson Act based off of how much they expect to also be getting from the conservation groups to do this work. Does that make sense? Like you're getting a portion from the Fed from all these tax dollars. And then the other portion that come, that's outside the state's budget, that's outside the Fed's budget, is being depended on from these conservation groups, whether it's a, a like I was mentioning, sheep, whether it's a, a sheep conservation group, whether it's an elk, a mule deer, a pronghorn, a turkey, a trout, a walleye, or whatever, they are counting on in their budget this outside money coming in from these events. And that has been the status quo for 50, 60 years. And it's worked to, to some degree. Like a lot of folks, especially those of us in the millennial crowd, we, we're not exactly thrilled about banquets. You know, we're not, we're not trying to buy decorations for our house at auction uh but a lot of folks do you know a lot of a lot of gen xers a lot of boomers they do and it's still providing a huge and i'm talking tens to depending on which part of the country you're in hundreds of millions of dollars to fish and wildlife conservation efforts that go directly to the ground in most cases now some orgs they've got some big paychecks that they're wanting to cover and they've unfortunately started using the banquet system for that. So any listeners who are going, Hey, but I know about, yes, I'm acknowledging that there has been that in the past um, and present with some groups, but for the most part, the vast, vast majority of these dollars end up in real world work in your area on with habitat for wildlife, even if it was raised somewhere else. Unfortunately, these banquets tend to happen almost exclusively between February and May, with the bulk of them happening in March and early April, which is right now. That's when people aren't hunting, and they're people aren't hunting. And it's all the downtime. During, it's during tax season. Yep. Uh, so it brings in folks who maybe have a little more to spend because of a tax return. Those are the employed. Uh, it also brings in the employers who want to do a little local in the neighborhood financial flex and spend 10 grand at an event to let the rest of the neighborhood know how well they're doing. Uh, it sounds like I'm, I'm making up some kind of filthy thing, but for real, if you're ever part of one of these banquet planning things, you're trying to bring in those guys who own like the local car dealership or something who want to flex some cash because it's like Steve Irwin would say uh, before, you know, the stingray thing. Um, he didn't care where he was going to get the money. He would use it for wildlife. And these groups, they, they do this. And, and it's hard to express the magnitude 
of the effect of this shutdown with the event cancellations. Um, there are presently, at our, our rec most recent estimate, and right now our committee program, our, our volunteer leaders around the country and around Canada are compiling lists of canceled conservation events in their own home areas. We're looking at thousands being canceled outright by the time this is over. Hundreds already having been canceled in the last few weeks. And what happens then is one of two things. Either one, they're able to postpone, they keep their deposits on the venue, on their vendors, all of that, and they don't have to pay any extra. It still happens. A little less money is raised, but they're able to get by. The state maybe can't have that second biologist on the trip or all the blood tests they wanted or you know, a, a third boat to go out and do the coastal survey or whatever. Um, the worst case scenario is kind of what is happening uh, right now for the most part, which is the conservation groups or the chapters of the conservation groups sunk five to 20 grand into an event in renting the venue space on buying food, you know, having caterers, you have your drink people. On top of that, you also have all the stuff there, some of which you had to buy at cost for the auctions and for the raffles. Um, all those things that are that you can go and win at a banquet, they're not always what's called a 100% or clean donation. Uh, we're very proud of how, how most 2% certified businesses have pivoted to doing primarily clean donations to where they're not requiring the orgs to, to buy, uh, you know, at, at 50% or 40%. Um, though that said, a lot of them still, they get many asks in a year that they have to sell some of them. They, you know, they didn't have the budget to give that much away. Um, so there's that sunken cost as well of, of all those things, all those hunts that you can auction on or win in a raffle, all those guns, all that gear, all those decorations, all those wine crates and stuff. Um, odds are they sunk some money into it. Uh, the larger organizations actually have a catalog for the chapters to buy out of uh, where they have arranged uh, relationships with vendors uh, to buy them at 10% or 20%. And so the, or, the, the chapters will actually buy out of these catalogs from all these different brands, uh, but they have to sink those costs first, sometimes in the thousands. And now we also have the unfortunate advent of the celebrity speaker where they will charge two to 20 grand to come and speak at your event. And these are folks who are, for the most part, just Instagram or, or outdoor TV personalities. And they'll charge up to, last year I, I heard of one charging 20 grand uh, and actually saw the paperwork that they had. And I was like, wow, that is so selfless of them. <laughs> obviously, obviously the preacher's got to eat, so to speak. But still, that's a lot of money sunk that you're not going to get back. So a lot of these chapters of these orgs and a lot of these smaller organizations, they are backwards right now. They're in the red. They're in the red, some of them up to $50,000 for their event. If they were planning on bringing in $250,000 in a night, odds are they sunk in 50 grand. To, to make it that kind of experience to get those kind of people there. And now they're out. So not only do they not have the, 
250 grand that they were going to then give the large portion to the projects uh, with, but they're also backwards in their books with no chance of a refund in many cases. What we're seeing right now is the majority of venues, the majority of vendors, the majority of entertainment for these events, and unfortunately, a lot of companies that supply gear and trips and stuff for the prizes are demanding, re, you know, demanding to keep the deposits or or keep uh, the dollars on them. Or some of the businesses that supplied uh, prizes are actually demanding that stuff be sent back to them. We're I'm I'm proud to say, to my knowledge, no two percent business has done that, and we've been in communication with them of of the severity of the situation. Um, to to not be doing that, and they they all said like we would never think of doing that. That's just the way these folks are, and we love that. Uh, but many are demanding stuff back uh, or demanding full payment on things. So um, we're looking at a several million dollar shortfall for wildlife funding in the United States this year and next year, uh, which the ramifications of that are almost incalculable. Um, what what that will mean for wildlife, what that will mean for opportunities in your area, what that will mean for disease outbreaks, loss of access. A lot of these auctions, the dollars actually go to the land purchases and the easement payments and whatnot uh, to keep access to hunting and fishing areas open. Um, it's huge. The last time I saw something like this was the you know the 0708 recession difference was is there wasn't a, a cancellation these events still happened it's just the seats were empty uh the 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 money wasn't necessarily all made and and it it wasn't great but it certainly wasn't as bad as what this is going to be at present state i thought i saw you guys ran or maybe it was somebody else ran an estimate of the total amount lost if these events don't happen do you or have that number Top it, of your head. It's still a floating number um, because we, we don't have full numbers in. As of right now, I think we are one of, I, I think we're the only nonprofit, non-governmental group running a, a big survey on this um, because every, every org I've called has been surprised that someone's doing it, but that's what we exist for. You know, we exist to support the work being done. So at our present estimate, it's it's over a hundred million. Mm. Now that may that may slide. That's with a margin of error of about forty percent. So that could slide down to it being sixty million. That could slide sure. up to it being a hundred and you know almost one hundred and fifty million. Uh, and that's again, that's private dollars, but that's private dollars that the states are using to budget to say, all right, that's where we're getting half of it from that. We'll get the other half from the Fed, so we're only going to ask for half from the Fed. So the actual of of what's going to be missed out on is going to be double that as far as the work that could be done, because they depend on half of it coming from the Fed. In most, that's a generalization. In some states, it's way more than half. Like in Montana, it's it's uh, you probably know the numbers better. It's closer to eighty percent of our budget uh, for wildlife funding comes from the Pittman Robertson Act because our our representatives are so good in in lobbying for it because of our national parks and all the other things that we deal with here. Um, so, I mean, it's it's huge. It's it's a very very big number, and uh, conservation is 
basically done by three things. It's done by dollars, it's done by time, and it's done by talents. And as an organization, there's a reason why we're 2% for conservation, not three. You can't put a, per, per, put a percentage on someone's talents, right? <laughs> Everyone always brings 100% <laughs> of that uh, if they show up at all. Um, but on the time and dollars, you know, we're, man, the dollar side is looking pretty nasty. So we have some plans, um, some stopgap measures to help. And before I get into those, like, I want to mention like what you're doing with MWF, with Montana Wildlife Federation, like you guys have a matching program going on right now, right? Correct. Yep. Sorry, so, you're the host, but I'm going to ask you to explain that, I guess, because you've got the internal info. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So actually, and I just want to, not to put too fine a point on this, go back to something else that you said. Well, yes, we do get in Montana a lot of our, um, our funding through these federal programs. Those federal programs come from tax dollars. And the mm -hmm. scary thing now is that people are spending less. So yeah. even though we, we, have this, we have this machine set up, if you're not feeding into the machine, eventually it's going to shut down. And, and that is probably the second most concerning thing for me right now in terms of conservation. The first thing is everything you just outlined with people not supporting their local conservation organizations and these alphabet soup organizations, because that is a big deal. Like that does, as you just talked about, that does cause a gap in funding for sure. Mm -hmm. But the other compounding issue is that people like you and me and my next door neighbors who are average Joe's middle-class Americans, we're all having to be very strategic in how we spend our funds right now. Cause we don't know how long this is going to last. Mm -hmm. At least for someone like me, I'm, I'm dipping into my, you know, extra ammo bucket right now, instead of going out and, and buying the, the new box of ammo and trying out, you know, a different load yep. at the, um, so not only are we seeing this issue with folks giving to these NGOs and their local organizations, but eventually we're going to get to the point where there's not the same amount coming in through Dingle Johnson and these other federal programs. Um, and so I, I don't want to be Mr. Doom and Gloom here, but we're, we're going to see a hit to wildlife funding and conservation from both ends of the spectrum. And this is, and not to pick on the slogan, but this is why I really dislike the slogan that hunting is conservation, because it implies that all you have to do is feed into these federal programs and you're supporting conservation. And what we're going to see here is that, well, yes, that is important. That is not going to be the thing that saves us. Right. And anyway. I, I'm belaboring the point, but I, I just want people to have an accurate picture of what we're looking at here. Yeah, uh, the, the tax program was never meant to be the all and end all. Um, right. when, when hunters and especially the firearm industry felt the need to defend ourselves and our legitimacy, unfortunately, marketers took one look at that and were like, oh, well, here's the obvious one. Yeah. Say that you do it all. And the fact is, is that is... It's been disproven many times, uh, especially once you look outside the U.S. Canada does not have a tax program. 
period. Yep. There's there's yep. no, I mean, they may have small localized ones, to be fair. So if there's any Canadians listening, you're like, no, I pay a local tax. Yes, you do. There, there are some small localized, usually around residential, hotels, resorts and stuff, which by the way, here in the US, the, the bulk of the outdoor industry, when you see outdoor recreation dollar numbers and, and how we're bigger than oil and gas and all that kind of stuff, um, it's actually coming from the RV and, and resorts. Uh, and mm-hmm. the things that's that's and they don't pay uh, uh, a wildlife tax at all, even though they're the ones putting a much larger burden on wildlife than hunting and firearms. But um, in, in, in Canada, they don't have these programs. And so there's groups like the Wild Sheep Society of BC, where in British Columbia, you have it's the only place on the planet with four subspecies of bighorn sheep. They've got California bighorn, Rocky Mountain bighorn. Uh, doll sheep and stone sheep and the bulk of the funding that comes in to take care of those sheep is privately raised because the, their their ministry does not have the mechanism to they call them ministries here we call them departments but um, they don't have the money to to pay for it uh, even though they've got Vancouver one of the largest cities in the western hemisphere um, because they don't have a tax program built in to take care of wildlife. They don't, you know, it's, it's all been privately funded for a long time. Ironically, as we're looking at all these event, events being short on funding right now, guess which uh, side of the border is seeing people step up to help pay for the difference? <laughs> it's the Canadian yeah. side. Um, because You're so friendly. Uh, there's, I think, a lot more personal responsibility actually right the thing with yeah. the tax program is it, it it's uh it's not a direct contact thing like i've said this before on your podcast if, if paying a tax on for wildlife makes me a conservationist then i'm also an elementary school teacher because i pay property tax that goes to my kids school like we claim we love participation trophies here in the u.s big time mm-hmm. we love we love to make fun of the rest of the world, but good God, man, our people love participation trophies. Um, so, yeah, call it, calling hunting conservation on its own just because we pay a tax. Come on, let's uh, yeah. do something real, you know, with with your life. Um, so, well, uh, I, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, like, the thing to remember, though, with this tax program that we have is it went in both of them dingle johnson and Pittman robertson went in during very very bad economic times yep so we've got no excuse right now exactly um, you know if you and really look one at thing it. that one thing that has really been on my mind and something that you said made me think of this again is this idea that we can't we can't shut down for wildlife like wildlife needs don't go away. Um, like we can shut down our schools. We can, you know, we can do a lot of different things as human beings when things like this happen, but the wildlife, their needs continue. There's still disease and there's still like you were talking about access needs and all these different things that don't mm-hmm. go away. And so this isn't really something where we can, say, oh, we're going to put that on hold until things get better. Like there's real world needs that are happening right now. And if we decide to press pause on wildlife conservations, there could be disastrous results. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
And then you asked about uh, MWF. So I work for a group called the Montana Wildlife Federation. We're Montana's oldest wildlife conservation organization. We were founded back in the 1930s. So we've been around for a little while. Um, and we're running right now a matching campaign on our Facebook. Um, we got connected with a, a generous organization that's helping us run that campaign. So if you go over to the Montana Wildlife Federation Facebook page, and I think it's probably at this point, um, if we haven't pinned it at the top yet, it's probably two or three posts down. Mm-hmm. But if you just scroll down, you can see there's a, a matching campaign. And the the reason that that campaign is important is because we do a lot of the uh, policy advocacy work for wildlife in the state. And there are other groups that do it as well. Um, but we're the, the, the Montana-focused group. We don't do work in any other state other than Montana. And so our focus is really uh, lasered in here on the state and the issues uh, here at the state. So it's important for us to be able to have the funding that we need to go out and do the policy work so that um, we don't have laws get passed like the one that came up last session that would have allowed people to run over wildlife with their snowmobiles as a means of hunting. I mean, we we are, I know, it sounds crazy. Oh man, I, I'm, I, I grew up in a snowmobile town in Northern, like I, I would literally all winter long go to sleep to the sound of snowmobiles at night. Um, so that that struck a, a my funny bone just a little too personally. So yeah. sorry, continue. <laughs> no, no, you're good. It's ridiculous and it sounds like something out of a movie, but this was really a bill that a, a few individuals brought because they wanted to make it legal, a, a legal means of take in hunting to be able to run over uh specifically they were trying to go after coyotes, but yeah. it would have expanded yeah. out to some other uh species. And I mean, without without us being you know, without us being here as an organization and doing the work that we do, I'm not saying that would have passed, but there there's some things that would slide through the cracks um, without our group doing the work that we do. Um, so anyway, yeah, go check out that matching campaign. And that's actually a, a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you about, Jared. Um, there's a lot of people that want to get involved and they want to give back and they want to help out right now, and they just don't know what to do. So maybe you could walk us through what what folks should be doing who want to give back to wildlife conservation or what can they do right now yeah so uh in in many ways we're in a a a triage kind of situation we are we're gonna bleed right um conservation funding is is going to bleed through this so it's it's a matter of okay how do we keep the big air quotes patient healthy uh despite so hopefully the medical metaphors are not too traumatic for folks uh, in this time. Um, I'm enjoying them. Number one, this is, this is the number one thing that if you are already engaged that you can do that is not going to put a burden on you, hopefully, uh, or undo burden, I should say. Because we, we did a survey uh, this week. Uh, It was a very targeted survey because surveys are so easily spoofed, especially online. Uh, Bad faith actors can really make things look worse or, you know, maybe better. Uh, Better might not be the right word, but, you know, not as extreme as they are. So we we kept it very limited. But we did a survey of our followers and members um, asking if your income has been affected. 
through, you know, job closures, school closures, things like that. And it was over 50%, uh, I think it was 54% said yes, that there's has. And in that, we also got piles of messages of, of people who took the survey and then sent a message in saying, yes, it has. And here's all the other jobs in my area that have also been shut down. Here's all the people that were laid off. And then we got all these messages from people who had to lay off people themselves uh, because they, they worked for larger corporations and stuff and were sent a mandate of send everyone home, let them know they're getting another paycheck in two weeks, but that we don't know what's happening after that. So as, as an organization that, you know, looks to people to give their time and dollars, we're very sensitive about asking people to give their dollars right now. Um, and very sensitive about the situation people are in. And full disclosure, myself and, and Calvin, uh, she's our member coordinator. Our whole, our family incomes have been affected too. We don't, we don't like the, we don't make all our, our, our money in a nonprofit. And also people are like, Hey, what do they make? You can look at our annual report on the 2% website blog. You'll see our exact payroll. We, we made that public. Um, and you'll be like, wow, they live off that. Okay. Uh, but we know that in this time, asking folks to give above and beyond, especially in dollars may be the same as asking them to take food off their kids' plates or, you know, not, not being able to make rent or, or mortgage or, or whatever it may be. So we're not asking that, uh, if you're not able to, um, and, and also we know that those who can give more, maybe they could really be helpful in their community, sustaining others through this time. So we're, we're being very sensitive about asking people to give their dollars. That said, the one thing we are asking is if you were going to an event, a conservation event in your area that has been canceled, don't ask for a refund. Whether it was a $10, $35, you know, meal charge, door charge to get in, do not ask for a refund. Because if you take that and spread it out, so, and again, we're doing accounting on a podcast. Super sexy. Um, <laughs> let's say you got 100 people coming to your event. And you are charging $35 per person for them to, to be there. That's 3500 bucks, right? Um, if in, in dollars that you're expecting just on people showing up. That's, that's a very small, that, by the way, that's a small event charging way less than normal, but just for, for the sake of, of, of example, that's 3,500 bucks. Usually that 3,500 is as, as a person putting on the event, uh, that's what you're paying for your venue and maybe half of your vendor costs or your down payment for your vendors or your cover charge for drinks. Um, so for example, for our conservation convention that as of right now is still happening in May, uh, though we're, we are working with the venue, our vendors and our sponsors, if we have to move it, um, for our event, we, we pay for, we have all these down payments down for the venue. And then we also have for the evening, uh, we pay a $2,000 drink charge up front. Uh, that you then get back as long as people spend at least $2,000 on drinks. Uh, but they have to do that because they have to have drinks on hand. So you spend all this money ahead of time. 
counting on you're going to have all these people spending 10, 20, 35, $50 to come to cover those basic costs. When you have to cancel your event, odds are you're not getting your down payments back. You may get your final payment amount back, which is what most of the events are reporting back to us, that they're not being required to pay that final payment from when the event happens, but they're losing their down payments. What usually covers the down payments is ticket sales, sales to get in the door. So if you're looking for something you can do in your area that will not cost you a lot, if you were headed to one of those events and you already paid, don't ask for a refund. If you could afford to go, you can afford to not ask for a refund. If you were planning on going to one of those and you did not buy your ticket yet, if you were going to do it at the door, consider sending that amount to that group's general fund. The reason why I say general fund is that way they can use it as they need. Groups, chapters of orgs, organizations, they, they move money around in different ways to pay for these events. Giving it to their general fund just ensures that they have flexibility. If you put on there, it must go to the event, that may not be the most helpful thing for them. So um, if, if you already had your ticket, don't ask for a refund. If you were planning to go and hadn't bought your ticket yet, consider sending that ten to eighty dollar, you know, uh, ticket in uh, price into them as a donation. Uh, you could also do it as a membership. That helps them during this time too. Um, you know, buying a membership during this time helps them out. Um, for those of better means, so those of you sitting in the forty-six percent that said no, my income has not been affected. Consider spending what you would have spent there as a donation to them. So if you were going to spend a hundred bucks on drinks or those of you who spend money on raffles and auctions, like the amount you would have spent while inebriated at the event, because we do <laughs> depend on that. That's, that's why there's always drinks at these things is like, we know, <laughs> we know you'll buy that extra hundred dollars of raffle tickets after your third beer. That's why you get the free pint glass at the door and you know it too. And you're okay with it. So, um, <laughs> whatever you were planning on spending your travel, your hotel, your, all the things you would have spent. If you have the means consider donating that to the group directly because it will help them get through this and help them cover the costs that they've already sunk so they're not sitting in the red. And maybe if we have enough people doing it, we can save some of these groups from chapter 11, which is what I'm already hearing rumors from some national orgs and some smaller orgs that they're looking at if this holds out for two to three months is they may be looking at bankruptcy and massive layoffs at a national level and even some of the smaller orgs just having to fold altogether. So we're trying to work with the ones that think they might have to fold uh, to let them know as nonprofits, you don't have to, there's other ways to get around it and, 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 and survive for at least a year in the red. But in this case, like if you're looking for something you can do with your dollars, this is it. Don't ask for a refund, consider donating what you would have if you would have if you would have gone at least from your ticket getting in and if you have the means consider donating what you would have spent to be there or on things while you were there and it could really help them out. And I would say that applies. Obviously there are folks that listen to this podcast that aren't into the hunting and conservation space. So I would say that applies for any group that you're Absolutely. passionate about. Yeah. Because yeah. 
um, and this is this is not my group and this is not my wife's business, but both of us are very involved in our local community. And we know of one business already that is closing their doors. Yep. And we know many others that are right on the verge of of it. And um, I, that was the that was something else that I was jotting down as you were talking is this is, you know, this podcast that we're doing right now is obviously targeted at a very, um, very small slice of the of the community in which we all live. Mm -hmm. But there's the the principles that we're talking about affect all of your nonprofits um, that, that are in your community that provide lunches for kids or that provide shelters for um, people to go to if they if they need a place to stay like this is not just applying to wildlife conservation. Um, this is applying to everyone in your community. Um, so don't just look at a group and say, oh, like their social media is still running and everything looks good. Um, they don't need my support. Uh, everybody needs support. Right oh, now. And, yeah. And just yeah. <laughs> just don't look at the window dressing as a sign that everything is fine. Unfor this is one thing that we're honestly, it's a it's a personal and, and org level frustration for us. We know of dozens of organizations that in six months, if things don't change, may have like one employee instead of 20 or more. Mm. Yeah. But they're not making a peep because they want to remain looking strong so that they still get seen in DC and the other places that they, you know, because of their size and strength, get meetings. And so they, they really don't want to look weak publicly, uh, but they should be getting out ahead of this. So us as people who support them, we can help them get out ahead of it, even if their leadership is, you know, pulling the ostrich head in the sand thing right now. Um, yeah. You know, for the sake of, you know, they're robbing from Peter to pay Paul, basically, the uh, clout versus actual dollars to keep themselves running. So that that piece of you know what you can right now is so huge uh marcus what were you up to during the recession like what where where in life were you at that point so that's funny you asked that so in 2008 i was actually uh serving uh the second half of my mission for the lds church and mm -hmm. um what was interesting as i've thought back on that is so when you're an LDS missionary, you're very detached from reality. Like you don't, you don't watch the news, you don't read the newspaper, but I was just from talking to people, I was aware that we were in a recession and that things were bad. But what really hit home to me was when we went to knock doors as foreign missionaries do in this uh, more upscale neighborhood, definitely like the upper 40% of the population were living in this neighborhood. And every, I'd say two out of three homes was empty and had foreclosure signs on the door. Mm. And it just like, it, it really was a very life-changing, impactful experience. Like I, I remember that day so clearly. And I remember looking at that and saying, holy cow, like this, this is what my grandparents talked about. And this is what, like, when you see movies like The Grapes of Wrath, like, this is mm. what 
this is like a taste of what those stories in these films are talking about. And it was just very, it was very surreal. Hmm. Hmm. So that's where I was. What were you doing? <laughs> um, it was actually the, the, the thing that started transitioning me out of being an outdoor education instructor because we lost all of our funding. Uh, I was teaching outdoor mm. education, doing family programs at a camp slash conference slash education center in Northeast Iowa. And, you know, we had like rock climbing classes and rappelling classes, wilderness survival, plant identification. We were actually the only facility that the public schools in Iowa would use. And we had just solidified a partnership with the uh, Iowa public schools for getting their kids to have outdoor education again. They had actually canceled it in the early 90s. Uh, thinking that they were a rural enough state that kids were just getting that, but they they weren't. <laughs> the internet happened. Um, so we were literally the one place kids would go. Mm. And we lost all the funding. And, yeah. and the local community tried as best they could to keep us afloat, but it was very obvious that we had to cut way, 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 way back. So some of us were working for free on the weekends and uh, during, you know, in evenings and stuff. And, and I mean, working long hours for free to keep the place afloat. Um, and then it folded. Um, but that, I mean, the, the facility still, still stayed. Uh, they just moved to corporate retreats and things like that. The, the community uh, enhancing stuff and the, public service enhancing stuff uh, and certainly the wildlife bit all went away and I ended up moving to Montana. Um, <laughs> so, it, I mean, that kind of worked out a little bit, but yeah. uh, what I remember from that was people were slow to say that they needed help. Very slow to say it. Because we were just coming off of an economic bubble. You know, during a bubble, everything's... Um, if you look at, like, the Japanese uh, economic bubble of the late 80s, when, like, there's a reason why techno took everything over and anime and all that stuff, is they were, they were the most profitable country in the world. You couldn't buy anything there if you weren't from there because you, you didn't have anywhere near the money. But it was a big bubble, and then they just crashed, and it was devastating. The rest of the world just looked at that one. Ha, 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 the Japanese. Um, then it happened to us. So with this, I'm seeing a lot of the same patterns on the charitable side. Um, and unfortunately I'm also seeing a lot of folks who need help, not saying anything, uh, which only makes it worse. It's like not going to the dentist when you know you have a toothache and you know you have an infection in your tooth, um, thinking that you could just wait it out. Nope. It's just going to get worse. Um, if you don't start dealing with it right away. Uh, and then also I'm seeing a lot more let's get through this together than I remember from the last one. Um, there's a lot more very positive, as long as you stay off Facebook. Facebook's where all the angry uncles live. <laughs> but uh, anywhere else in the real world, there's a lot more let's, let's get through this together. And I think we can really capitalize that in many ways. And one of them is how we spend our time during this lockdown while we're all doing social distancing if we're being responsible 
um, and care about old people and babies like we should. Um, there's a lot we can do during this that does not require money if, if, if you are tight on funds and can be very good for us psychologically as individuals and culturally and help handle some of the conservation needs that frankly there won't be funding for. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's pretty extensive and, and, and kind of like the sky's the limit on, on what you can do with your time, uh, which is, which is pretty exciting because everyone's so at home, some... so they've got time. <laughs> right. Exactly. So what are some of those things that folks can be doing right now? Well, we shared a few things on our, on our Instagram, uh, yesterday. Um, and, and one of the first ones. This is, this is pretty easy. Call somebody, call, call your local volunteers, people that you normally volunteer with, uh, people who put on the banquets that you like to go to people who put on the pint nights that you like to go to, just give them a call. If you don't have their number, find them on social media or email, say, Hey, I, I, need, I need to talk to you. Don't say what it's for. Don't say, Hey, I'm calling to encourage you or see how you're doing. Cause then they're just going to say they're fine because they're, you know, everyone wants to play tough. Um, but well, like even before we started recording here, your wife was on just briefly and we started talking about random stuff and laughing and having a good time. And it, it felt really good. Uh, these volunteers do a very lonely, lonely task. The, with with conservation, it's not the 90-10 rule of you know 90% or 10% of the people doing 90% of the work. It's more like the 99 and 1 rule of 1% of the people doing 99% of the work. It's very lonely, typically thankless. A lot of it done in the background. So giving them a call while they are going through all these event struggles right now, because again, these are normal people. They're they're not they're not paid to put these events on. They are doctors, teachers, plumbers. Um, here in here in Bozeman, the, the, the Elk Foundation Banquet, one of the biggest donation gatherers is actually my garbage man, who I see every Friday morning when he comes and picks up my dumpster. Um, give them a call and say, you know, hey, heard about what's going on with the event. You want to tell me what's going on? Let them vent because they don't really have anyone to vent to. A lot of national offices I'm hearing about national offices where coordinators and and presidents of orgs are turning their phones off because they are so overloaded with, hey, what do we do? Phone calls and they have no answer, which means mm. you have these average folks struggling to figure out what they're going to do. So give them a call. Just see how they're doing. Let them vent. Let them let them yell. Let them laugh. Let them cry. Um, ask them how their families are doing. You know, be a human. That's, that's the first easy thing you can do. Get on an actual phone call. Don't text, don't whatever else to get this communication through voice to voice. It's, it's one of the most therapeutic things to, to have happen and can really uplift your spirits and help you have clarity of mind too. Um, there's a reason why talking through stuff with someone often leads to better decision-making. What happens chemically in your brain when you're doing that is pretty foundational to being a communicating species. Um, no one's, no one's truly an Island. So give them a phone call. That'd be thing. Number one thing. Number two, 
get on social media and give them some love and and hit their comments areas and you know fight the algorithm so to speak uh by putting just some positive stuff in their comments talk about what you love about them let people know uh that their event was canceled that they that the the event uh being put on by this org often funds a lot of work in your area and let your community know raise raise some awareness and some support I doubt we're going to get the folks who just come to the events uh, to show off how much money they can spend uh, and for a tax write-off to donate what they normally would of their own volition. But maybe with enough people making noise on social media and in a positive way, we can. Not calling someone out saying, you're a, you know, you're a bullshitter. You, you only give when people are watching. Um, don't do that because <laughs> they may not come back next year for the banquet uh, if you do that. But make some noise. Let people know that there's a need. So that's, that's two ways you can support with your time from home that are very, very easy. Um, though, you know, necessarily taking on people's emotional burdens isn't always easy. Make sure you have someone to call after that to talk through what you just took on for someone else. Um, the other thing you can do is if you're allowed outside, get outside and clean up some habitat. Right now we have a, a Tines and Trash campaign going on that was... Uh, launched by one of our board members, Dan Johnson of Nine Finger Chronicles Sportsman's Nation podcast uh, and Mark Kenyon with the Wired to Hunt podcast, um, as well as uh, Risky Outdoors out of Michigan. They have a t-shirt for it. Um, but Tines and Trash is basically, if you're going out shed hunting, like I know many people in the West do, um, consider taking out a trash bag with you and clean up trash as you go. So pick up sheds, pick up trash, and at the end of it, post a picture of all the sheds and all the trash you collected and use the hashtag Tines and Trash to let people know that, hey, if you're out there, you should also be cleaning up, taking care of the local habitat. That's another easy thing. So that's three things there. Uh, the last one really depends on where you live. And if you're still under snowpack, I'm going to ask that you wait until that snowpack is down. Um at least, you know, going into those areas that uh, that might presently be covered with snow. But one thing that conservation funding goes towards from these events is doing wildlife surveys, getting counts of animals, where animals are, specifically young. So counting of, of baby uh, elk calves uh, is a big, big deal for projecting the, the vitality of the population for the coming year. Same with, with mule deer, same with pronghorn. The pronghorn won't be having their babies till much later. Um, and then also with, with nesting with birds. If you can go out for a drive, we did this last night with our kids. We, we went and did a drive and took a tally of all the birds out there, uh, different species that we saw, where they were, things like that. If you can do that counting and then send in your data to the groups, it can be super, super helpful. Uh, because if they don't have the funding to send out a biologist to do it, they're going to need to do it elsewhere. And honestly, this is how a lot of these organizations started, is they were just volunteers going out and doing the work that the states didn't have money for. So if you have time, and if there's not snowpack around you, um, get out and count some wildlife and send in your results to the local play, you know, either your local fish and game office or to the organization that works with that. They may not respond right away. They're not, many of them are not used to getting 
citizen reporting anymore. It's kind of an old fogey thing that, uh, you know, some old guys and gals are still doing because that's how it used to be done before the orgs existed um, to help fund, you know, contractors doing it. But if you can go out and do it yourself, you can really be a stopgap during this time for, for keeping track of things. And I would echo the first point that it's not good enough just to send a text. It's not good enough just to blast somebody an email or comment on Facebook. This as much voice to voice and video interaction as we can do um, is so crucial. And uh, to talk about the last point, this is a really, um, this is a really great time to get outside. Yeah. Obviously we want to be social distancing, but that doesn't mean that you have to say shut up in your house all day long. Right. Um, we can still get outside. We can still um, participate in the things that we care about and that we love. We just maybe are doing it with smaller groups. Um, yeah. I think, I think uh, that at least for myself, when this first rolled out, I was like, well, shoot, I have to, stay stuck in my house for a month. And I quickly realized that that was a little extreme. <laughs> and the the idea of getting outside and um, contributing where you can with your time uh, really resonates with me, because that's something I value a lot. And, and to be able to maintain some kind of normalcy during all of this by doing that um, is also really important. I mean, you want, especially if you have kids, you want to be able to keep things as normal as possible. And so going out and going on your hikes and exploring, um, I'm looking forward to turkey season coming up here soon, being able to do those things and, and keep, you know, somewhat of a normal schedule and routine and, and your, your life a little less chaotic is really important, not only for conservation and helping out um, the organizations and the government agencies that will benefit from you doing those counts and picking up the trash, but also for your own personal sanity. Um, yeah, I can't, cannot emphasize enough how important that is. You can do a lot of good by just getting out and seriously, the citizen reporting is, <laughs> it's how it used to be done. And in some places, um, well, even like uh, Northern Wisconsin, where I grew up, where the Elk Foundation helped bring elk in there, they still every spring depend on volunteers going out and grid searching, looking for calves every May. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's as simple as, sorry, it's as simple as going on to FWP. If you're going to, if you're going to go for a hike and you're going to go count um, whatever species it is, or you're going to just do a kind of a general count of all the critters that you see, just go on, look at the region that you're in. For me, it would be region three here in Helena. And I would say, Hey, I'm going on a hike up No Tellum Gulch. And is there anything that you'd like me to keep an eye out for while I'm up there? And I'll take pictures and n number count and whatever you need while I'm out there. That would really mean a lot to them because like we've talked about their budgets are getting cut. And so their time to be able to go do that is really impacted, but it's, it's not complicated folks. It's super simple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be clear, uh, as far as the rest of 2020 is concerned, most states budgets, budgets are absolutely locked in. Everything's paid for, you know, 
not much has changed. Uh, but for 2021, that's where there's going to be epic impact. So right now, you know, you going out and doing this, you're supplementing what was already a taxed system. Um, and I know of at least a few states, they're already trying to pivot some dollars from 2020 to 2021 uh, uh, to prepare, you know, for what's looking like to be an epic fire season this fall and what that might mean for, for wildlife and whatnot. So um, yep. it's a good practice at least to start right now um, and help supplement the work that, that you know, is, is being cut short in some ways. Um, many of these uh, surveys, I'm, I'm already hearing out of like, Alaska and elsewhere where healthcare professionals are being held back, not able to go out. And, and in a lot of these cases, uh, your person who goes out and does the survey uh, is also the person who might check in at the doctor's office. So they're just canceling stuff, especially in rural communities. So if you can go out and, and help, you know, fill that gap, um, can be super impactful. And, and it, it's, it's just like, you know, with, with medical response and whatnot, if you do it well, you'll never know that, that, that it was, that everything was done right. Like if you get involved, if you do the right thing, there's not going to be some calamity. Okay. So like you go out and you help with these wildlife surveys, you go and help with the trash cleanup. It's not like there's going to be some parade or something afterwards. It just means it was done well and, and it was able to keep moving forward as it is. Um, so, you know, let your expectations, you know, match reality, I guess, is, is what I would remind folks. Um, yeah. Uh, that said, it's so necessary. And for you, God, it's going to be so healthy getting out and doing something at a time when many people feel like there's no answers. There's no, there's so much uncertainty. You go out and you, you, you fill up a bag of trash. That's some certainty right there. You definitely did a thing and it was positive. Yep. So. And for you folks listening in more urban settings, you can still get out and go for a walk and pick up trash. And that might be even more important for you and your communities than for us here in Montana, where there's not as many people. Yeah. So don't let this be limited by your location. Like you can still go out and, and do these kinds of things and make a difference no matter where you live. Yep. Yep. Jared, any other points you want to bring up before I hit you with some final questions? You know, it's, it's, it's a time to, to, to really kind of show for those of us who claim to care about wildlife, um, just like any claim we, we may make about, about who we are, it, it really shows when, when the poo hits the fan. Um, and in times like this, we can do way more good than, than normal. Your, your dollars and time that you can give right now are much, much higher value because of the scarcity. So if you're able, please consider. And I'll, I'll uh, do a, a push for folks to go and become 2% certified. This is the perfect time to do it. Um, it's a great time to make that commitment to fish and wildlife and to giving back. So everyone go log on to fishandwildlife.org and get 2% certified. It's the perfect time. Exactly. Alrighty. You ready for some rapid fire questions? Yep. Okay. This is for people who you're listening to this for the first time. This is where we 
get a little less serious and have some fun. So I've got some new ones here that I'm excited to try out on you, buddy. Yeah. Ready. Fire away. Okay. Your house has to be all one color. What color are you making your house? Uh, I'm not. I'm not doing uh, what they do in Ocean's Eleven, where they're like, "Taupe is very soothing." No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I would do a warm mahogany. Ooh. Okay. How How does Lee feel about warm mahogany? Big fan. Okay. That's would you that's, rather- that's my main reason. Honestly, I could live with any color. <laughs> <laughs> that's smart that is smart okay you have to fight 100 duck sized horses or one horse sized duck oh 100 100 duck sized horses for sure ducks are evil dude they are one step off of a goose and you don't mess with that no 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 no, no, no. (laughs) I'll fight the little horses okay you not not counting Miss Bobby Frazier, my dog. What? An, yep, your dog. What animal would you want to be able to hear their thoughts or understand? A sloth. Ooh, do tell. I mean, those guys look like they got the wisdom of the universe floating through their heads. <laughs> I, either that or a possum. I mean, oh, yeah. you, you play dead, you smell horrible, you're ugly as hell, and you eat ticks? Who are you? You know, I, I want to know what's going on in there. I, I have a feeling it's, it's uh, you know, like an, they constantly have the inner monologue of an 80s action star, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's your most used emoji? Uh, squinty eye laughing. For sure. And and uh, on that note, I am not an emoji. I don't like using emojis, but I've been told my tone is too dry. So to ensure that my point gets across and that folks know I mean things in friendliness and kindness and uh, love for humanity, I use emojis. Uh, it, it might be the smiley face. It might also be the rock, rock hand symbol, you know, the rock horns. So oh, yeah. one of the, one yeah. of the two. You know, that's interesting. I've been told something very similar frequently and I, I hadn't thought about it, but I think that is also the reason why I use so many emojis is because I'm concerned that people won't pick up on the, the friendly banter yeah. tone yeah. I'm trying to communicate in. So yeah, I use, I use the laughy cry eyes. A lot. Um, okay. Let's see. Where was I? Okay. You are quite the music aficionado. So this one is going to be interesting. You can only listen to Justin Bieber or Nicki Minaj for the rest of your life. Which one are you picking? Minaj. That's what's one. What's one book everybody should read? Uh, Sun Tzu's art of war. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Who would you want to back you up in a bar fight? My daughter in ten years. <laughs> Hell, right now, maybe. <laughs> and I only know that because I've she's 
the only person I've lost fights to repeatedly. <laughs> so, <laughs> just so everyone knows, she's seven. <laughs> the girl knocked out her two front teeth when she was two on her own for, 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 for kicks and giggles. Um, literally curb stomped herself. Um, she's been, she's got a, like a punch card to the emergency room and has more scars than most adults I know. Um, that is fantastic. No, my daughter for sure. You can pick one thing to be free forever. What thing are you picking? Like free, free from cost. Yep. Like donuts are free forever. You never have to pay for a donut. Hmm. That's a hard one. Um. Yeah, so this is gonna show my practical proclivities. Uh, fuel or you know charging your car, whether you have a fuel vehicle or an electric vehicle, the the price to mm. keep it moving. Never that, that actually is really smart. Freedom like to roam. I'd never have to pay to go somewhere. For those those old enough, you, you may remember, you know, like dollar 10 gas or less than a dollar gas um it was epic i used to drive across the country for <laughs> like 200 bucks um things have changed they definitely have i remember I, when it hit a dollar yeah i want it back yeah would you be stuck in jumanji or jurassic park for the rest of your life which jumanji and which park Oh, uh, are we talking nineties or present day options? Cause that, that might be the easiest. Let's go with, let's go with nineties. Yeah. Nineties. Nineties. Uh, definitely yeah. Jurassic park. Nineties Jumanji is built to kill you. That, that is, <laughs> there's a reason why my kids have not seen that one and they've seen the new ones. Like we can't afford those many nights of nightmares that, Oh my goodness. Uh, people look at, you know, what led Robin Williams down, down a dark path. It all started with Jumanji. With Jumanji, oh, yeah. Drums and all that. Those drums are so iconic. Like you just know what what movie. Oh yeah, it is when you hear those drums. Yeah, even if you never saw it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your most played song right now? What's the song you're rocking out to the most? <laughs> uh. It is probably the Wing to SARS by Sabaton. Okay. For those who don't know, Sabaton is a Swedish rock band playing in styles of the late 80s, like almost all Scandinavian rock bands are. (laughs) Um, Like, seriously, hair bands are still a thing there, Uh, 80s hair bands. Um, But they write all, all of their songs are written about historic battles. And the wing to SARS were these mercenaries who would put metal wings on the back, on their backs or on their horses to look like Pegasi, Pegasus. Um, and they would wear like leopard and tiger furs and stuff. And it was to scare the enemy horses. And they were during medieval days. And they would come riding down the hill. Um, yeah, look, look it up. Like, look up the wing to SARS. It, the, the Battle of Vienna is what Tolkien based uh, the battle for Minas Tirith in Return, the Return of the King book and movie. 
uh, when all the horsemen arrive, they're based off the winged hussars. So, a little fun history fact for you too. But that that's the one I'm jamming out to right now. It's it's so good. Nice. Okay, who is someone that we should all follow on social media? Hmm. That's a tricky one because I hate social media. Um, I know you do. And I follow people for very, like I follow people because of personal relationships. So like my personal Instagram, mm. I keep it, I have 406 followers because Montana 406. Um, and I keep it at that. <laughs> and I'm following 312 people. I would say someone who's, can it be a person or, or like an org? It can be an org. Yeah. Be an org. What's, yeah, I guess I should have said account. What's an account? That didn't make it any easier for me. Um, but uh, if you were to follow one account, I really like the Merriam-Webster account because they post a oh. word of the day. And Oh, nice. Yeah, and today's word was incommunicado. And they, they it's, it's like a three-picture slide thing they do, so it has the word, its definition, the history of the word, and then some examples uh, from publication of where the words are used. And I, I enjoy that on the daily. I get that love of words from my mom and the love of daily words uh, from her as well. I used to sign up for the email updates when Merriam-Webster used to do word of the day. True story. I've been doing a lot of crossword puzzles during the pandemic, which I've really been enjoying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scrabble too. A lot of people are playing Scrabble and... They've been intentionally posting words like Kruth uh, is the one they did for St. Patty's Day, which is spelled C-R-W-T-H, so no vowels, but hmm. it's an ancient Celtic stringed instrument. It's actually Welsh, though, so I don't know why they did it for St. Patty's, but um, that, that's, that's my favorite, favorite account on the daily. There's a lot of individual accounts, but these people don't want me to recommend their accounts in a public space, I don't think, so. Sure, that's totally fine. All right. Last question I have for you is what does it mean to live an authentic life? That's been bastardized a lot. So, uh, and, and, and I, my background was online, you know, after outdoor ed, what I did after the recession is I started learning online marketing, coding and stuff like that. And even as far back as 2010, it was in marketing for how do you advertise the authentic authenticity and you know and it was always fabricated what someone would come up with so that struck a nerve um the authentic <laughs> life is one you're not one you're not ashamed of you know um and if there are things you are ashamed of in your life you're actively working on them and not afraid of people knowing that you're working on them the authentic life is one lived without you know without hiding what you actually enjoy and uh, not necessarily uh, letting the world knows what scares you and stuff. That's that, some of that is a little bit of oversharing and turning is crowdsourcing therapy, I think, in a lot of ways. But living the authentic life is where you're not ashamed of what you enjoy and you let folks know. So like yesterday, I, I posted a lot of people have been asking um, what kind of content do you take in that isn't wildlife related? Because for those of us who work in wildlife conservation, we breathe that all the time. And so the idea of being locked in with a lot of the stuff that we help create the messaging for is just like living with work as your recreation. And 
like I mentioned a few years back, I, I started feeling a little one dimensional because that's all I was taking in was wildlife, conservation, hunting, fishing, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I started following uh, other stuff. And yesterday I, I, I posted that, Hey, I enjoy video games. And that devastated some people. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, this guy who's like, go outside, give your time to wildlife, do this for wildlife, you know, focus on the outdoors, live an outdoor life. I do all that, but guess what? I might also play against some kids in Call of Duty from time to time. What? No, you can't. That's not pure. That's so wrong. How could you? Um, but that's that's who I am. Uh, it's a it's a part of who I am, and I I enjoy destroying the psyche of a 15 year old kid who's screaming about my mother on 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 call of duty from time <laughs> to time i do um yeah. mentally breaking him and making him go outside to go and collect his thoughts i feel like i did something good that day so get that kid outside. i got him outside yeah. and he's scared of his xbox from now to kingdom come so um you know i i do enjoy that but that was hard for some people well guess what that's that's part of who i am so deal with it I love that definition. Um, I love that you came to me with this idea for doing this podcast. This was a really good conversation. It's a really important conversation. And I think a lot of folks will will benefit from the things we talked about today. So thank you, Jared. Thank you for always showing up in our community in a, in a very authentic way and for making a difference. If people want to connect with 2% for Conservation, where can they do that? You can do it on social media or our website. We, we have a, a pretty consistent uh, social media presence on things that you can do. It's, it, we want our, our content to always be positive. So, you know, if you, if you follow us on, on Instagram or Facebook, you're not going to see contentious stuff. We're not there to rabble rouse, which is part of why our follower count isn't the same as some other groups uh, that are posting stuff that get people into fights in the comments section. It, it's always going to be positive. So if you need something to uplift you, just look for 2% for conservation on, on social media. We'll show up right away. Um, our website is fishandwildlife.org. Uh, if you go to just fishwildlife.org, that's the Association of Fish and Wildlife Professionals. That's not us. Um, go to fishandwildlife.org. You can Google us and, and we'll show up pretty easy. You can see who our members are. You can connect with a local committee leader in your area to help get you connected with conservation causes and inform you of what's going on in your area by with, with different conservation groups and ways you can get involved or support or at least get the word out on what's going on. Uh, that's all available on our website. There's also, we have our Conservation Media Award going on right now. If there's outdoor media you really enjoy, including podcasts, you can nominate it. Uh, on there, we will be opening that up to judging uh, here on April 15th when we close down submissions. So uh, lots you can do with us, whether it be on social or on our website directly. Awesome. Again, Jared, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. To everybody listening in, thank you so much. Everything that you might want to check out will be linked in the show notes. And I just, I love you guys. I really appreciate you tuning in. And with that, I'll say thanks for keeping us company today. See ya.